You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin for supporting The Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live Uncommon. We get to talk about a really exciting learning opportunity. If you are a hashtag hymn nerd, you might enjoy this. If you're a church musician or someone who just appreciates great church music, Lectures in Church Music is coming up at Concordia University, Chicago. And we are excited to have some of the speakers and organizers from the event joining us today. And the Reverend Stephen Starkey, he's a published hymn writer and retired pastor from St. John Amalith Lutheran Church in Bay City, Michigan. Pastor Starkey, welcome back to the Coffee Hour. Oh, great to be here. I think it's been quite a while. It's been a couple of years since we've talked on the Coffee Hour. So yeah. thanks for spending some time with us. And we are excited about the, the presentations you'll be sharing at, at Lectures in Church Music. We'll talk with the organizers in just a little bit as well. Pastor Starkey, you are presenting, you're the plenary speaker and talking yes. about congregational song. It, what will? How will you be addressing this topic of congregational song? What will you be doing with the topic in your presentation? Well, the, the full topic is congregational song, a faith, hope, and comfort in Christ. And so my organizing principle for the presentation is a verse from Psalm 137, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Which, of course, is when the, they were in exile in Babylon, and to sing the Lord's song would have been how could they do that? The way Jerusalem had been destroyed and all of that. But I have a different take on that verse in that we're living in a foreign land right now. I mean, things are so different from year to year, certainly over the years since I was a youngster. And so I talk, all, I talk about the way things are now, the foreign land in which we live. And then I talk about the Lord's song, which is really, hymnody is the Lord's song. It's a song about the Lord. It's a song from the Lord. And we spent some time on that. And then my final part of that presentation, How Shall We Sing, really talks about the importance of congregational song being anchored in the Bible, theologically sound, poetically rich, musically fine as well. So that's really the, the way my presentation's going. So. When you talk about congregational singing, what is like the, the foundational principle of where we have to start when we start into a conversation about a group of people singing together, how do we define that? Where do, where do we start that conversation? Well, I suppose that group of people singing together most commonly takes place in church. That's when we think about that. And what we sing together is very important, that we are singing about Christ, that it is anchored in uh, Scripture, that it's theologically sound, but it gives an opportunity to sing the truths of, those, of that faith into our hearts. That's really what hymnody is all about. That by singing the truths of God's word, it is anchoring itself in our heart, as you will. Hmm. So, how would you say congregational song is different than any other church music? <laughs> well, it's done together corporately by the people of God gathered in worship. It's something that's a very important part of our worship service together. I suppose congregational song, you could also talk about liturgical song, which is part of, mm. the, part of that congregational song. And so God comes to us in his word. God comes to us in the sacrament. The congregational song gives us a chance to sing back to God the truths of his word, to proclaim 
it's really another way of proclaiming the gospel in that worship service. We hear it in the word, we hear it in the sermon, but then we also hear it sung in the hymns, we hear it sung in the liturgy. So really the whole service is a word-drenched experience as God's people gather together. Does congregational singing, does that involve more than just hymnody when we're in a church service? Yes, I would say so. Okay. It can be the pastor chanting the liturgy or speaking the liturgy, the congregation responding uh, with all the different parts of the liturgy. Uh, Most commonly, of course, I I think about hymnody in worship service, but there's really all of the singing and worship service that is ultimately focused upon God and what he has done for us in Christ. And to me, that's what I think of congregational song. I think about that opportunity to gather together with God's people in worship. Currently, we are belong, I belong to Church and Grace in Auburn, Michigan, and they have a very fine cantor, and they have a wonderful music program. I'm singing in the choir. <laughs> so that's it. We're back in the choir season. In fact, we're having a special service coming up this Sunday at St. Michael's in Richville, so we had a special choir rehearsal last night out in Richville with a mass choir, so that's fun to be a part of again, too. I sang with choirs in college and the seminary, and so now that I'm retired, I can go back to singing choirs. <laughs> <laughs> and what's the draw for you? Why do you enjoy singing in the choir? You know, I guess that would probably go back even to my grade school days. That was my first experience of singing in a choir as a grade schooler back at Emanuel Bay City, and I just always liked singing. And didn't do it in high school. We went to a public high school and then got to Ann Arbor and I tried out for Dr. Falber's choir. He asked me to read the bass line of a hymn. I couldn't do it. So he said, well, we have a good choir for you with Professor Goodmanson. So I sang with the Concordia Singers with Professor Goodmanson. By the time I got to River Forest, I could uh, try out for the Capel and be a part of that, which was a great experience. And then Got to the seminary and sang with Contra I with Richard Rush. So it's always something I've enjoyed doing. In fact, when I was a pastor in Middletown, Connecticut, well, I sang in the choir. And so it would be during the worship service, uh, came time for the Old Testament lesson. The elder would come up and read that. I'd dash downstairs through the basement, upstairs to the balcony. And then we'd have the choral piece. And then while the epistle was being read, I'd be dashing down, back downstairs, and then pop out for the gospel lesson. So that was quite a workout. I don't think I could do that now anymore, but <laughs> I was one of the three men in the choir. So, Oh, wow. Is there something about singing together, about singing in a choir or singing in a congregation that that is a draw for you? I, obviously, I know you love singing in the choir, being a part of the, the church's song, but is there something about coming together to sing that that is unique? I think it, it's a, a mutual encouragement and building up in the faith as you are with your brothers and sisters in Christ, and you are together singing, singing those truths to each other, but also singing them to the, to the glory of God. So I think it is a mutual consolation of the brethren too, as you gather together, as you speak. It's a form of speaking to each other in Christ. How does singing together like that, whether in a congregation or in a choir, how does that bind us together as the mm-hmm. body of Christ? You know, talking about your presentation, singing it in a strange land, being in a strange land now, how does that, that ability to sing together, how does that bind us together so we can, I don't know, face culture or, you know, when we go out through the rest of our weeks, 
after after Sunday? How right. does that help yeah. us? That's, you know, I really look forward to Sunday mornings. In retirement, it was always great to be a pastor leading worship and all of that too. But in retirement, I've just found that it's a joy once again to sit in the pew and listen to a sermon, be with my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. My family all belongs to that congregation as well. So it's an opportunity to be with my family. Made a lot of new friends already at Grace and Auburn. And we are encouraged together in Christ. Not only are we proclaiming the truths of that are contained in the hymns and, and then God's word and liturgy. But together in Christ, we are encouraged as we come to church, maybe be, be a little beaten up from the culture or whatever we're experiencing in our life. And then we come together, we hear the word, receive the sacrament, and leave the sanctuary strengthened and ready to go for another week. So it's, I can't imagine, you know, life apart from a weekly worship. You know, that's just such an important rhythm in my life as a Christian. How do the concepts that you've shared with us about congregational song shape your hymn writing? Mm. When you're writing a hymn, how does that shape what it is you're writing for a congregation to sing? Well, I guess you're aware of the times in which we live, and you want to make sure that you're able to clearly express how God's Word can speak His truths into the times in which we live. Um, Hymns are written for different reasons. Sometimes they're commissioned. Sometimes they're just in response to uh, meditations upon God's Word. The most important thing for me is that it's clear and doctrinally right, you know, so that what we're singing is understandable and also what we're singing uh, supports our our faith in Christ and our Lutheran uh, perspective on that faith in Christ. How do we take that then, the the singing, the hymns that we're digesting that, that are, you know, talking about God's word, how do we take those in and use them? throughout the week as as we're interacting with other people? Well, you know, the hymnal can be used as a devotional book. I don't know how many people do that nowadays, but it's very helpful to me. I have the app on my phone, Pray Now, which is from CPH, and it has the scripture readings and the psalm, and then it always has a hymn verse at the end. And, you know, whether it's that hymn verse or thinking about hymns, well, I have a funny story to tell. So I have a, a six-year-old granddaughter is just, you know, starting to pick up on reading and things like that, too. And she's, so, you know, we're working on having her follow along in worship. Well, she had a children's hymnal from CPH. Oh, yeah. And so she wanted a real hymnal. She wanted an adult hymnal. She didn't want the hymnal like the hard one in the pew. She wanted the leather-bound one, like we have these leather-bound hymnals. So for Christmas, she's getting a hymnal with her name. Name that, but she's made a very papa. I want a real hymnal. That's awesome. So you just you know it starts it starts when you're, you know, the most important things parents can ever do is worship with their children each week. You know, my perspective and years in the ministry is those are the families that seem to remain faithful, and that it's you know the children as well as they take it into adult life. So. What do you hope participants will gain in the sessions that you'll be leading at the Lectures in Church Music coming up October 15th through 17th? For the um, plenary, uh, just that uh, they once again think about the importance of what we sing. As we sing the Lord's song, what we sing is the solid, nourishing message that we sing. In today's world, it's so necessary that it's always it's always the song about the Lord. It's always the Lord's song. 
in my hymn writer presentation, along with Lisa Clark and David Rogner, we're going to share theologically and poetically and musically how we came to these. We're going to share a couple of hymns each and then field some questions after that. That's always an interesting uh, topic because you have people that are interested in hymn writing or some aspects of hymn writing. And then really looking forward to the hymn festival on Monday evening, which is Grace Upon Grace at Grace Lutheran there in the forest. And so uh, I always enjoy the hymn narrations. And so I'm working right now on the hymn narrations, so nine hymns, nine hymns that I wrote. And so we're tie- trying to tie it all together theologically and uh, apply it to our life in Christ. So that's, and that's also going to be, I believe, live streamed and also recording is being made of that as well. So that'll be available. We're going to learn more about the lectures in church music coming up October 15th through the 17th at Concordia University Chicago in just a moment. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Eddie Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason, to use your God-given gifts to help others, to live a life of self-sacrifice in a me-first world, to live a life that's uncommon. Whether you're taking one of 50-plus online programs or learning with us in person on the shores of Lake Michigan, you'll be equipped to make an uncommon impact. Learn more at cuw.edu. Concordia University, Wisconsin. Live uncommon. Welcome back to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. Joining us now is Barry Bob, published composer of choral and organ music. He's director of the Center for Church Music at Concordia University, Chicago. Welcome to The Coffee Hour. Good morning. Well, share with us uh, a little bit about the session that you'll be presenting at the Lectures in Church Music this year on American Lutheran Hymnals since 1993. Okay. This really builds on an earlier book from CPH, 1996, Source Documents in American Lutheran Hymnody by Carl Schalk. And uh, Carl pulled together really all the prefatory material introductions and some observations on all the Lutheran hymnals in the U.S. from 1786 to 1993 and was a really important milestone publication. And so this, this volume two, which Bill Brown really from Concordia, Wisconsin, has done the lion's share of the work on, and along with input of a lot, a lot of people. This volume really builds on the 15 hymnals that have come out since 1993. And same kind of approach, looking, publishing all the prefatory material, introductions, ideas for use, and and so forth. Uh, And then a few uh, observations from uh, Bill and myself, and also from the other people who were involved in in those projects. So it's it's quite an array of uh, publications. Why is it important for us to look through these hymnals to understand them? We have our our Lutheran service book that a lot of people use. We've gone through LWTLH. Why is it important for us to dig into the all of the array of hymnals since 1993? Well, they're really an important cultural uh, kind of peeking into Lutheranism in in the United States and everything that's happening not only in our uh, church body but in our partner church bodies and other, and other, and also those worshiping in other languages. One of the striking things about these 15 is how many are in Spanish and French. This Far by Faith from 1999 is the first African-American Lutheran hymnal in the United States. 
So you've got a lot of things happening ethnically and so forth. And really, all of these come out of this enormous uh, explosion in hymn writing that we enjoyed in the last half of the 20th century. It has continued in, uh, into our uh, 21st century as well. Just a lot of interest in hymn writing and a lot of um, kind of peeking, see what the neighbors are also singing and how that might help us in our own worship and, and so forth. So it's, it's really an, looking at the hymnals themselves, since they really are the people's theology and reflective of the church, church, church body of its time, they really show what's kind of happening, has happened, is happening, and maybe a glimpse into a little bit into what's coming. Anything else that we'll be learning in that session with, with you and Bill Braun? Well, it'll be, it'll be that plus. I mean, one of the interesting things is the, how important foundations have become. The, the Schwann Foundation, you know, in the Lutheran worship and other books that have come out since then, the Lutheran Heritage Foundation in Macomb, Michigan, they have been doing enormous work, just just far-reaching. The one book that's really a kind of a French version of the Lutheran service book for French-speaking Lutherans, mostly in Canada, if you saw the last reporter, there was an article, that's now, there's an African version of that for French-speaking Lutherans in, in Africa. So it's just sort of amazing how global it is and how many people are investing just so much time in, in expanding Lutheran hymnody really across the globe. Very good. Well, joining us now, Dr. Stephen Wente is Emeritus Pro- Distinguished Professor of Music at Concordia University, Chicago. Dr. Wente, welcome to the Coffee Hour. Thank you, Andy. Sarah. Tell us a little bit about the history of lectures in church music. This has been around for quite a while. I remember when I was a student Mm, many, many, many (laughs) years ago at Concordia, lectures in church music taking place there. So this has been around for quite a while. Where did the idea begin and and what do participants learn? Well, I think the idea really came out of the college's uh, 100th anniversary in 1964. And then the next year, when Carl Schock was called to come to Concordia to be professor, one of his tasks was to start a a lectures program that would be that would be essentially a um, practical, a very practical conference for church musicians. It would be in many ways kind of a reunion because a number of the people were were Concordia alums, but they knew people from other Lutheran parishes and so on and so forth. So it was a, it was a great gathering. Carl led the uh, lectures from 1965 until 1993 when he retired. I, I should mention a couple other people here. Evangeline Rimbach, who was our department chair, she led it with me from 1995 to 1998. And then Jonathan Kors, when he joined the faculty, he started leading in 2003. So if you think of this, almost 60 years, Carl did 29 of the years and Jonathan coordinated the conference for, for 20. And now Barry and I are, are doing the, are, are organizing the conference. I suppose I shouldn't be surprised that it was Carl Schalk. He's such a, a legend in RLCMS circles and, and at Concordia Chicago. So this is just a, a wonderful legacy of being able to get together and gather and learn I know lectures was always a big deal when I was at Concordia Chicago, too. And I got to sing for some of the hymn festivals. So 
it's a it's a really cool thing that that keeps I still going. I have the T-shirt. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> <laughs> how has this this long-standing event for church musicians? How has it served the church over the years? Well, I think in 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 ways that may be very tangible, but in some ways that are rather intangible. I think the the tangible ways are the presentations that we uh, we have. We have mostly I I would call them practical hands-on things how to work worship how to work with children composition sessions organ handbell choral reading sessions to see new music and the worship in one way the tangible thing is is that people get a sense of worshiping with a larger with a larger group and some of the things that they might take home to their own parishes i think the intangibles though are the sense of not being necessarily alone that they have people that you know that in every congregation there is someone doing or maybe a couple people doing directing the church music program and it's a way for them to get together and and share ideas and maybe share concerns and share even frustrations and have a way to gain a perspective about what they are doing pastor starkey what are some things that you gained from participating in lectures in church music in the past I think it's the opportunity to fellowship and meet new people. I remember at Electors and Church Music, I met uh, Irene Beesey and John Banky. And oh, yeah. uh, it was at, at that chance meeting there that we developed a friendship and then also did a hymn festival together in Wausau, Wisconsin, and actually did a second hymn festival there too. But my first meeting with those people was at Electors and Church Music. A few years ago, too, I shared a presentation with Susan Palo Cherwin, and that I had met her a couple of times before, too. But it's an opportunity to meet those outside of also Missouri Synod circles and learn from them and also see where they are at when it comes to congregational song and those type of things. So I, I guess for me, it's the, the learning and the fellowship opportunities and the people that you're with. Mm-hmm. Barry, how have you found them, the lectures, to be useful for you? I think both Steve's have already hit on the the big ones and this opportunity to be with and encounter the larger world of church music. You know, it's like a national youth gathering or pastoral conferences. You get to be a part of, you realize you're a part of something much bigger than your own uh, situation, even even a global, global endeavor, Lutheran church music. And so it's, there's something uh, reaffirming about that and healing about that, hope giving it's also a chance to hear from, you know, Dr. Shaw from the beginning, really brought in some of the most important national thinkers on church music, you know, across denominational borders from across the country and beyond. And and you just get to hear a lot of different perspectives and vision and, and so forth and, and go back then to your own setting and sort of energized and, and ready to, to go back to it. So it's, it's extraordinarily beneficial. We've talked about some of the sessions taking place at the lectures in church music this year. We've talked about just a few. What's the rundown? What's the list? Barry, do you have that list for us or or is that Dr. Wenty? I can I can at least start. I mean, we've you've already kind of picked up that Pastor Starkey is kind of carrying it on his shoulders. Plenary <laughs> <laughs> and the hymn festival and the hymn writing tracks and so forth. We also have the the second plenary on Tuesday morning is actually a panel of music, uh, church music publishers, 
talking about the state of church music right now and what's happening and kind of what's on the horizon because they're really in a position, unique position of, of kind of hearing from across the church every day what's going on and, and so forth. And they kind of know what's on the drawing board. So I think that's going to be, yeah, that, that other plenary is going to be very useful as well. And great uh, concerts besides the hymn festival on Monday evening. Craig uh, Sprout, who's the new head of church music at Concordia, Wisconsin, he's coming down and doing an, an organ recital um, for the banquet on Monday night. David Menneke, who's recently retired from Concordia St. Paul, and who's very involved uh, in Lutheran church music on a global scale, coming down and kind of talking about uh, that as well. So there's plenty of, as Stephen mentioned earlier, practical sessions, reading sessions, new music for organ and for handbells and and so forth. I wouldn't mention the other two shock scholars. The center has a shock scholar program for supporting emerging scholars. And one is from St. Louis, Lisa Clark, who's senior editor at Concordia Publishing House and doing her doctoral work in the University of Bristol in the UK. And she did a presentation on eschatology, the end times in, in Christian, Christian hymnody. And then Daniel Baker, who's another shock scholar and a Mequon grad, but he's now at University of Birmingham, Alabama and Birmingham. And he's talking about Martin Luther and music education. So you have these, this, this really beautiful group of, of young emerging scholars that are doing really important work and kind of keeping the legacy of Dr. Schalk and all the others going. Dr. Winty, how do we attend? What do we need to know about details of getting there, the times, the dates, all of those things so people yes. can uh, can come? Yes. It starts on October 15th, a Sunday at 4 p.m., and it ends around 4 p.m. on Tuesday. <laughs> if you just Google Concordia University Chicago Lectures in Church Music 2023, it'll take you right to the web page, and then there's a link to register. <laughs> there is a full schedule. <laughs> I would also add maybe that this is also the Hillard hundredth, this is a Hillard centenary. And so we have a couple events that are connected with remembering the gifts and the contributions of Richard Hillard to to the church, which many people know from his setting Divine Service One. Yeah. That setting. Cool. <laughs> Wow. And we'll share the link in the program notes yep. today as well so folks can find the registration information there. October 15th through 17th at Concordia University, Chicago. Dr. Wente, any other information before we wrap up our time together that you'd like us to know about the lectures in church music? No, I think that's that, that's all. Thank you. Our guest today, Dr. Stephen Wente, Emeritus Distinguished Professor of Music at Concordia University, Chicago. Thank you, Dr. Wente. And Barry Bob, published composer of choral and organ music, director of the Center for Church Music at Concordia University of Chicago. Barry, thanks so much. Thank you. And Pastor Stephen Starkey, published hymn writer and retired pastor of St. John Amalith Lutheran Church in Bay City, Michigan. Pastor Starkey, thanks for being our guest. Thanks so much. It was a joy to be here. You've been listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support the Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you. Anytime. Anywhere. Anywhere.